When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like those fickle, red-headed matches that you swiped along a strip of sandpaper to light, the Gaiety Cinema in Carrick-on-Shannon simply dwindled out of circulation, replaced by a better product. The ground floor having been converted into a hardware outlet, with access to the cinema reduced now to a plain doorway on Bridge Street. Climbing the stairs after the pokey box office and sweet shop, Stepping into the auditorium feels like boarding a vintage aircraft for a flight into the remote territories of Irish small-town single-screen cinema. Hi, Pat. This is the, the new front of the, the old building where the cinema has been for the last 32 years. The decision to close hasn't been easy. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it has always been in the back of the mind that it, it will close. But uh, in the late 90s, we spent some money on putting in new seating and Dalby stereo and just to try and, because Boyle Cinema was gone at this stage, and we thought, well, OK, it'll survive because there's nothing else around. But um, it has steadily been declining. And then the Film Society came in three, four years ago, and um, when they came in, it, it gave us a little boost because, it, not financially now, it was just it gave us a boost because you had maybe 50, 60 cinema, serious cinema goers wanting to see a film. And if you have people in there, it just gives you a boost. Whereas if you're showing films to two and three people, it doesn't, it doesn't help. You went straight into the lobby of the cinema. On your left-hand side was a, a purpose-made shop. And to the right then you had the ticket office, which was uh, with the old metal ticket machines. And then... You went in through a double doors into the cinema, which had the little moon li- moon windows it through them, and then into the next uh, foyer. You went in through the stalls, the downstairs of the cinema. The gate opened, as far as I can recollect, in 30, 32, 33. It had been a, a drapery establishment, but people at the name of Harvey ran it or owned it. And they must have retired in 1930-31 when Mr Flood bought it. But it, got, it wasn't a, another drapery emporium he was opening out. It was a cinema. I saw my first film in Mr Flood's shop. He had a room upstairs. We were too young to remember any details. Except the journey alone was nearly worth it. I, it was the wintertime. The shop was beautifully lit. 
It was a fine, fine premises that time. And there was a spiral staircase in the middle. He also had, um, as far as I can remember, like a fountain. And the name of the film, I was, I was petrified. <laughs> what fright. It was the Isle of Lost Ships. But, um, well, so, so the love of it developed from there. It was a, you know, how would you describe it? Uh, a never, never land or, uh, if you want the right phraseology, won't come to me at the moment about it. But you were carried away to a, another world type of thing. And the Wild West was everything, wasn't it? People often forget that the main rival to the Catholic Church was not Protestantism or even Communism, but actually was the cinema, in that cinema was competing for the same part of people's inner lives as the confessional and the church. When cinema started in the early decades of the century, it wasn't just the church that was in opposition, it was also cutting across the idea of the national revival and the Los Angelicization of Ireland was feared as much as the Anglicisation of Ireland. So what might be called the cultural protectionism of the 1920s and 30s militated against Hollywood and jazz. And one of the ironies of the Gaiety cinema in Carrick and Shannon was that it was established against a backdrop of a movement to ban jazz in Ireland founded by a parish priest in the adjoining district of Clune, County Leitrim. And that led to marches of over 5,000 in Mohill, down with jazz. Jazz is the Beelzebub's music and all of this. So that, that kind of cultural protectionism was very strong. And the dancers can be seen as on a continuum with cinema as well, bringing in kind of wayward influences and libidinal energies that were cutting across the austerity and the puritanism of the new state. Where I'm seated now would have been the balcony in days gone by, with the stalls below, or the pits as we call them, partitioned off. The motor makes a grating sound, cranking open the curtains, and only a narrow apron survives under the proscenium as a reminder of the stage acts and music makers that performed here in the Gaiety's heydays during the 1930s, 40s and into the 50s. It's striking too the way people somehow had more time or more staying power then for going to the pictures, for dancing and canoodling and cycling the country miles to and from social nights in the Gaiety that started at ten at night and lasted until four and even six o'clock in the morning. I know that the last time my mother and father went to the Gaiety together it was to see a Meryl Streep and Robert Redford film. But by the time they had the farm chores done the children fed and settled, and my mother's elderly parents looked after. My father remarked, out of Africa, 
we'll be lucky to get out of Arigna tonight. I think Mr Flood sold it to Dr O'Hanrand. They must have run it for three or four years. And then a local group of lads, I'd nearly forgotten about this myself, Brendan Kieran, the local chemist, was one. Uh, Fonzie Keane, the solicitor, you know those. Uh, there was a lad who was a traveller for Jacobs. He was from Sligo. And there was a fourth man. Gaffney was he, I'm not sure. But anyway, a lo- kind of a local consortium bought it. And they ran it for about maybe eight or ten years. And then Jerry Kelly and company came in. This doesn't really help the cinema entrance. The, the hall door hasn't done any justice to the to the cinema because a lot of people wouldn't know whether whether it is a cinema at this stage, and especially at the weekends when you have a lot of people down from Dublin and a lot of tourists in town. I think, God, cinema must be joking. There can't be a cinema in there because they don't realise that you have single screen cinemas, which there are very few in the country at this stage, and they think. Uh, all the youngsters now think four or five screens that's what they've been brought up with so that's it we're in the, we're in the cinema foyer now which is very small but it's still the cinema my father and mother uh, got, bought a cinema across the road from where we were brought up um, purely by accident really it was coming coming on the market it was in very bad repair and uh, they bought it, and the seeing that it was very profitable, very lucrative business, and they were in retail, and it was completely different, and probably maybe more lucrative. And then when when that went well, they decided, right, we better get another one of these. So we bought Carrick, and then it opened. I think it opened in October, November, seventy-eight. We're going upstairs now into the balcony, as it was called at the time, where all the hush people went. Uh, the stalls were more basic, and the balcony was for couples and uh, maybe just couples, I suppose, and. Uh, it had a little bit more upmarket, and it was, of course, it was more expensive as well at the time. I came to Carrick and Shannon forty years ago. Concerts, and I was at two or three dances in it. Irish nights, and I worked at the cinema. Is it Ursaretta you'd call it, or Ursaretta? Oh, showing people in their seats and different things like that and selling the ice creams and the sweets. It was another job and I liked it. My husband worked there with me too. He was underneath and I was up in the balcony. He was down underneath. He did the same and kind of put a control on... The, the the tough boys that came in. All dark and handsome when I met him. <laughs> yeah. In one sense, cinema brought in, I suppose, the allure of commodity culture. 
and the consumer society at a time when belt tightening and austerity was the order of the day in Ireland. I think one of the most important aspects of cinema, though, was its impact on rural life, particularly on the vestiges of the arranged marriage and the kind of emotional accountancy that came along with the dowry system and its residues. Because even into the 1930s and 40s, De Valera made provision for dowry houses in legislation so that the dowry was still part of everyday life, not simply a famine a residue. And it must have been very strange and moving for couples in a rural cinema such as Carrick and Shannon. The average marriage age in Ireland at this point was 39 for a male and 33 for a female. And to be thinking of the kind of emotional calculus that went into the land and marriage and then to see Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly cooing true love on the screen. And it has been pointed out that romantic love, for all its illusions, probably comes into rural Ireland through the cinema screen and indeed through jazz and Tin Pan Alley. And that was one of the reasons why the church had its eye on cinema, because of the embargo on not just sexuality, but on passions and emotion, which were part of this austerity of the 1930s and 40s. And cinema was bringing in this libidinal energy and these kind of erotic desires into everyone's life. So in that sense, I think that cinema really was a countercurrent in all kinds of ways to the kind of revival of the national dream in the 30s, 40s and 50s. I must have been seven or eight years old when the parish priest organised a bus to bring my mother and me and a bunch of neighbours to the pictures as an Easter treat or duty. It was my first visit to the gaiety and I remember a sea of pleated red curtains parting for the holy film. Even though I gave my undivided attention to this edifying biblical epic in full technicolour, my eyes began to close about the same time the apostles nodded off on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The posters called it the greatest story ever told, but by the finish I had to be carried out of the cinema sound asleep. The film more suitably moved a coal miner on the way home on the bus, a notoriously contrary two-fisted drinker doing the black fast for Lent he remarked to the priest, You know, Father, when you think about it, there wouldn't be that big of a difference between my mother and Mary, the mother of Jesus. No, said Father Commons, but there'd be a big difference between the two sons. Lord bless us. I missed it very much. Very much. That's going to be sad. You miss now. 
which every time I passed I said, that was a wonderful place. It was a wonderful place. I think it's, it's very sad. Can it be saved? Very sad. It's part and part of us. hope so. Going into cinema at that particular time would be seen like uh, nearly a suicide bid because it was very down in the dumps at the time. Admissions would probably be down but then uh, as luck would have it the distributors or renters started to change their policy with films and uh, get them out of the country much quicker and also they went into the, uh, the mass release sort of type of film where they would advertise it on television and they would have it in your local cinema pretty quick and this sort of changed the audience it increased the audience a lot and um, it was just pure luck pure luck at the time Well I feel devastated really to think that the Gaiety Cinema is going to close after three quarters of the century there's an immense power of good can be done in the cinema. And when somebody is in the cinema watching a good film, they're not doing drugs. They're not drinking. They're not going around in gangs. They're not annoying old people. They have something to occupy them for an hour and a half or two hours or three hours or whatever. And it's a social outlet for people young and old. And if only for that reason alone I would like to see the cinema staying open unfortunately however people don't realise the advantage there is in having a cinema in town off until it's gone nobody in Ireland apart from Jerry Kelly would have kept this business going for the last 5 maybe 10 years I've been there on nights when there have been 4 people and he will run it for 4 people it's probably reaching break even at 40 rather than four. But uh, he's been subsidised in himself. I don't really know what interested me in cinema in the beginning, but my father, God be good to him, was a Belfast man, and he loved the pictures. And I can remember him bringing me to see Annie Get Your Gun in Dungannon around about 1950. And the first time I was in this cinema might be shortly after that, I can remember seeing a Charlie Chaplin movie with him doing a dentist or being in a dentist chair or something like that. The next film I can remember here absolutely terrified me. It was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and the witch populated my dreams for months afterwards. I was really terrified of that witch but still afraid to say so. The third film I remember here was The Far Country, a western with James Stewart and uh, I think it was Walter Brennan. And then the cinema in Drumshanbo opened in 1953, so most of my movie going would have been in Drumshanbo after that. But I still would have a lot of memories of from 1953 up to date in this cinema. For instance, um, the owners of it in the mid-60s must have been fairly patriotic, because Easter week 1966, it was the 50th anniversary of the Easter Rise in Ireland. And the person who owned the gate at the time was Jock Hanrahan, who was a county surgeon in Roscommon. And he also owned the Royal Cinema in Roscommon. And he had a series of Irish films during that week in 1966. I can remember 
the rising of the moon um misha era and the quiet man being shown but other memories that i would have of the gaiety included some stage shows uh, there was a small stage here which Gerard in more recent years extended and the Breffney players have used it quite a lot in recent years but I can remember um, a flat call in Carrick and Shannon around 1961 or 62 and the Breffney players putting on um, one of Lady Gregory's plays on the Monday night at the flat call I can remember a hypnotist called Edwin Heath appearing on stage here and having everybody around Carrick and Shannon looking for little leprechauns in the street afterwards. I can remember bringing my children to the movies here. The first time it was for one of the Rocky films and the house was absolutely packed to the extent that we had to go to the very front row in the downstairs stalls, myself and two kids and one of the children sat on my knee and another child sat on a neighbour's knee who happened to be in the front seat beside us to see Rocky. My cinema going really only started when a neighbour told my younger brother and me to be ready and waiting at the crossroads at seven o'clock or more and he'd bring us to see the new James Bond film. The deep, dark well of the auditorium was like entering consecrated ground but we had to sit through a world of ads for singing lounges engagement ring house jewellers and local bakeries like Duffy's whose boast seemed to be we make a meal of our bread while the summit of sophisticated nightlife in Dublin we were told was Club Chivago where romances begin we hunched deeper into our seats when a scratched looking film censor certificate sprang into view off kilter and out of focus then agent 007 strode on screen took aim and fired off an imaginary bullet that pierced my imagination the first time i ever saw a movie at the cinema Francais, i thought only the french only the french would house a cinema inside a palace It's hard to exaggerate how important cinema was as an outlet for the unrequited dreams and energies of rural communities. I suppose males had a number of outlets, sport being a key one, also the pub. And they acted as two outlets for a kind of collective experience. But female company was very difficult to achieve in the kind of wider sense of the community. Dances became one of the outlets for female desire. But the movies probably were the Twilight Zone. They were probably the crossover space in which male and female were equally at home. And I would imagine that for couples, it was almost a more intimate space than the bedroom given that cars of the kind that we'd see at drive-in movies in America such things just did not exist in rural Ireland so the dark of the cinema was almost 
one of the most intimate spaces in people's lives. Just as people kept their best lines for the pub, people kept their best actions for the cinema. And in that sense, cinema acted as a kind of a counterpoint to what was considered intimacy in everyday life. I'm from Ballinamore, County Leitrim. I was born, born and reared there. And I first went to the movies in the old Lyric Cinema. I was, it was during my time at National School, uh, just after the war, and it was built by a Nicholas Keegan from Clune, or Clune or Havas, that, er- that area there. And he built the Lyric Cinema, and we watched it as youngsters for nearly a year while it was being built. And the first, cinema, the first film that was shown in there was The Seahawk with Earl Flynn. <laughs> that was a, f- a black and white movie. And the next film that was shown in that was a black and white again, Santa Fe Trail. I don't suppose you'd remember that, but those two films have, st- have stuck in my mind since then. And then the other cinemas came. Uh, Michael John Giblin built the cinema in Drumshambo. And the Star Cinema was built in Ballycondal. So we were thrilled to have all of these different places to go to. Because remember, we didn't have much to entertain us other than football. Mostly for, uh, for the non-footballers, the cinema. And that's what we spent our, our youth at, going to the cinema and playing football. We drove to cinemas as far away as Bundorn, Longford and Eskillen. There were three, three cinemas in Eskillen at one time. There were two in Longford... There was uh, one in Ballycondle, uh, one in Ballinamore, one in Drumshambo, one in Boyle. We, we visited all of those cinemas during that period. I can't, cannot remember the year exactly. It must be in the 60s we got involved in that the um, Gaiety Cinema here in Carrick and Shannon was changing hands and we thought it was going to close down. And rather than let the cinema die, four of us got together and we bought the cinema from... Dr. uh, O'Hanrahan in Roscommon and that's where we took the interest in having a cinema in the town we ended up having the only cinema in County Leitrim and we refurbished the balcony we uh, just uh, refurbished all the seating in it put up the red curtains I think there's there still and we cleaned up the the stalls downstairs and uh, with seating for about 500 I think in total and we had quite a number most nights at the at the films. My partners were uh, a solicitor, uh, Michael Fonzie Keane here from Carrick and Shannon. Joseph McManus was a businessman from Drumshambo. Billy Craig was a representative of Irish Biscuits, and he was he was living in the town here at the time. And myself. I couldn't keep away from the pictures, stockpiling a sugar hit in the sweet shop in that quickening of expectations as the lights dimmed, the curtains parted and the projector beam infused the dark like a cheap and potent gut-level tonic for loneliness, boredom, being at a loose end and craving diversion. Or, as one regular who never missed a change of film said, if it wasn't for the cinema, what would I be at? Only at home, babysitting the kittens for the cat. On one level, going to the pictures was a shared ritual entertainment. At a popular film in a crowded theatre, you could feel the collective enthusiasm and involvement. The gaiety, in this sense, was a mecca of blissful absorption. But equally, it was a private experience. 
the Klieg light brightness and tick of celluloid spooling through the projector produced in me a sense of weightless entwinement, of being lifted out of ordinary time by the eternal forms and sensations of film story, the pictures, the flicks. Collective experiences of all kinds are disappearing. The multiplexes make for a very different kind of experience and they are only a stopgap on the way to somewhere else. And the level of commercial overkill for the multiplexes, the most striking difference is the lack of studio stills or foyer stills. One of the delights of going into the gaiety was to have a sneak preview of what was in store for you and to see the um, way in which, if you like, the senses were seduced before you darkened the door of the cinema. And in latter years, it's almost as if one can summon up a whole movie by seeing one of these studio stills. And that kind of idea that you were surrounded with the kind of aura and illusion that was in store for you in the auditorium. That whole experience is gone and the mystery in that sense has gone from cinema. It's, it's kind of interesting when cinema first appeared there was nostalgia for theatre precisely because it seemed to be threatened and be endangered by the new form. And there was even an argument that cinema lacked any kind of magic or aura but the irony now is in an age of digital reproduction and an era of home entertainment that we now look back with wonder at the kind of communal experience. If you want the kind of communal intimacy which militates against so many things that we associate with intimacy and privacy today but it almost was as if cinema was a kind of private sphere in public space and that people carried with them into the cinema the areas of their inner lives that were kept actually for the most private experiences Time, I think. Nothing has changed here uh, from probably, I'd say, 40, 50 years. Nothing has changed here. The same entrance, the same floor covering. The, these, the, the projector stand, that basically has been here probably for 50 years. I'm just uh, rewinding last, after last night. Because uh, it, it wasn't rewound last night because it was the last short. There was a big decline in the middle 80s when video came out first. Uh, it was a huge hit for cinema all over the country. And uh, a lot of the cinema owners started to fight it, you know, fight video, where I felt at the time that they should have been sort of embracing it to keep film with film rather than uh, you know fighting it and letting 
or letting other people into the business um, I thought at the time well if you're going to have a video library where else better to have it but in the cinema but as it happened that didn't that wasn't the way it went uh, cinema exhibitors and renters kept sort of pushing video out to the side and sort of hoping that it would go away but it didn't happen <laughs> the decline came uh, over a period of years over probably three or four years and then uh, after probably four years, five years, it started to improve again, you know, when video had sort of got its feet in the ground and it improved, but not, not back to what it was. Uh, creating two screens was, an, was, was a consideration uh, over a time, but the building didn't lend itself to it really that well. So it didn't, um, it, it, the idea fizzled out. Um, I don't think it would have it would have kept us going. I think you would have just probably prolonged the agony. If you look today, you, if you walk look around the country today, there are very few two screen situations. It's all four, five screens. The smallest is probably three. Longford up the road is four screens, thirteen screens in Sligo. There's a four screen probably in Ballina. There's a seven or eight screen in in Athlone. Uh, there's a, a new four screen in Cavan, but you need four screens and you need a, a population. But to get the product, uh, the renters sort of they want a particular time and they want a particular you know they want two to three weeks for a film. And if you haven't got four screens, you're not able to give that give the renter for three to four weeks of a, of a playing time. Uh, the town will miss it, but then the generation has changed, and they're into watching home movies. They don't socialise in in that era now. Um, then at that time, um, people, you know, it was a thing of you could meet someone, you go to cinema. I mean, they can go down and select any um, video or home movie, recent or uh, old version. I mean, the, even the old versions are now um, being um, taken home and watched, um, which at one time you've just seen in the cinema. But it's even the older generation that take home the videos, they don't enjoy them as much as the time they went to the cinema. It was a time of dressing up and going out, meeting your pals there, always, or you'd say, well, I'll see you at the cinema. And um, it was just that era. There was something, you were out, you, you came out of the house rather than going home with a movie and sitting in. Um, I think it was better um, for people in general, you know, because it, it, you weren't just tied to the home. You were out and you were socialising. And uh, I think it was better for people, in a way. Myself and two other girls, we were friendly and we decided we'd, the cinema was reopening under new management and we decided we'd like to work there. So we took the evening jobs and um, my other friend was Anne McQueenie and Marion O'Rourke. So... After work each evening, we'd head off for the cinema. I worked in the shop part of it. And McQueenie did the tickets downstairs. And Marion Roque did the tickets upstairs. 
So um, it was kind of a joint venture and we enjoyed it very much. There were four businessmen that had taken over the running of the cinema. I'm not quite sure when it ended. Um, so we parted when they resumed ownership. But it was a lovely atmosphere and there were four very nice bosses. They took it in turn to um, work the roses. Uh, one worked one week and between the four of them they took, you know, their weeks um, t- uh, in turn of, you know, running the place and making sure that everything was in order and if there was any rowdyism they sorted it out and in very discreet way and um, we got to see some of the films then in turn and during the intermission the shop would be absolutely full of people they'd all come out for the chocolates and the cokes and packets of potatoes and <laughs> it was a treat for everyone and uh, films are really good and um, and then if there was any musicals on you'd have the nuns from the convent coming down and they'd be interested in they might be on the course for school curriculum and uh, that was you know another event it was always packed downstairs and upstairs now it was in total uh, seats about 400 and um, at the weekend every seat would be full and then we had regulars coming um, local people that would come regular to you know, to every change of film um, I'll always remember Bill Crane he lived down the street and he was a uh, regular um, gore he enjoyed them and I think it was mostly all the cowboy ones and the Apache ones and those films. <laughs> um, Lauren and Hardy and, you know, um, easy to watch. After a day's work, they don't mind and just go in and it was a part of um, their lifestyle, really. In my time, in the 1950s and 60s, um, there were two cinemas in our part of Leitrim. One was the Roxy in Drumshamble, which was a rather miserable affair with a galvanised roof of the kind you found in hay sheds. And the stairs going up to the balcony was made of cement and was on the outside. So the Roxy didn't quite measure up to this aura and splendour of the gaiety, which, as far as we were concerned, was Hollywood itself. So the gaiety had a kind of a prestige, to say the least, over the Roxy in Drumshambo, about seven miles away. And a lot had to do with matinees and how serious cinema going at night was conceived. And in that sense... The rock scene from Shambo tried on matinees and kind of El Cheapo movies, whereas the gaiety prided itself on the mainstream fair, particularly films down from Dublin, which was just too good to be true. 
you could read about them in the newspapers. Mind you, it did take quite a while for the movies to come down from Dublin. And by the time the movies arrived in rural cinemas, the reviews were yellowing in discarded newspapers. Now, to each season, there is a new blockbuster, and to every action hero, a merchandising franchise. The industry whipping up storms of publicity in the belief that in a hurricane, even turkeys can fly. Yet, going to the latest must-see movie still confers status, and people still love the pictures. Only the Gaiety Cinema doesn't meet their needs anymore the way it met ours. Its single screen, a tatty reminder of the Nickelodeons and flea pits of the past, where the old joke went that if you came in wearing a sweater, you left with a jumper. The young especially want better premises, more screens and more choice. They want somewhere cool and fashionable to congregate, heading out alone or with a group of friends to the pictures, to chit-chat, to make dates, to set and train a couple of hours of cheap entertainment and finally to sit as close as needs be under the blind egalitarian eye of the projector gathered afresh into cinema's amorous embrace. I thought it was going to be quite easy just to sort of turn the key and turn off the power and just walk away but uh, it's, it's harder than I thought actually. So we, I have planned for um, a contractor to come in in the next week or so and I'm thinking maybe I should postpone it and mourn for it for a month and do it in a month, in a month's time, have a month's mind instead. <laughs>